the Psalm 118, and we're going to read from the verse 21. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Amen. We know that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let us seek the Lord for prayer. Father in heaven, we pray you would write your word upon our hearts. Encourage our souls today. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. This is Reformation Sunday. It is called Reformation Sunday because Tuesday, the 31st of October, is known as Reformation Day. This was the day that officially marked the beginning of the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther nailed his famous arguments against the, the Roman doctrine of indulgences upon the church door at Wittenberg. And so there began a movement that brought tremendous blessing to the world that we continue to reap benefits from to this day. But what the Reformation was, it was a revival. It was a revival of Christianity. And we have been in our prayer meeting and Bible study spending some weeks looking at the great subject of revival. And as we brought those studies to a close on Wednesday night past, we thought about that great a prayer of Isaiah's that God would come down, that the mountains might flow at his presence, that God would do something amazing, something spectacular in this our day and generation. Because as we look at the, the darkness, the secularism, the turning away from God, we are in need of revival, desperate need of revival. But Europe was a darker place before the Reformation than Europe is today. And yet God stepped in, and he did something. And it was the greatest revival of Christianity since Pentecost. So what I want to do today is give you an overview of the Reformation, show you how God worked in this nation and that nation, in the heart of this man and that man, and how God changed the spiritual map of Europe in a most amazing way. And I trust that we will be able to say with the psalmist here in the Psalm 118, verse 23, yes, this was what the Lord did. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And may it encourage us to keep praying for God to step in and to send a revival in this age in which we live. So first of all, it was a revival of truth. The Reformation was a revival of of truth. And I suppose that's the fundamental aspect of the Reformation. It was about truth. 
Martin Luther's great text that so inspired him from Romans chapter 1 and the verse 17, the just shall live by faith. You see, the church was teaching that you must be part of the church to be a Christian. You must perform works to be a Christian. You must engage in the sacraments. You must get rid of your sin by undergoing penance. You must beat your body in order to be right with God. And Luther tried all of that, and he did not have peace. And then it was suggested to him that he should start studying the Bible. And as he studied through the book of Psalms, as he studied through the book of Romans, and also the book of Galatians, he was brought to this place where he realized it's faith alone. If I am to be justified, it is faith alone. And once he got that, the light first dawned on his spirit. And of course, that gave him a desire for his fellow countrymen, for the German people. Many of them were in spiritual darkness, and he wanted them to realize this. Faith alone. If you're to be justified, it must be by faith alone. And that's the message of the Bible. Salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's a message that we must always preach and hold on to with great tenacity. Because if ever we rely upon our works, or religion, or denomination, or good living, we've lost it. Faith alone. And so the first thing, it was a revival of truth. Let's also think about the forerunners to this revival. Because whenever God sent this great revival, which was the, the Protestant Reformation, Luther didn't come to the beliefs that he came to in a vacuum. God had been working in the hearts of others in the centuries before Luther. So while the 31st of October 1517 was a key date and a pivotal moment, God had already been working because God is always working. And God had been enlightening others in the previous centuries in order that the stream of truth would be kept alive. And eventually that stream became a, a great gushing torrent of water through the ministry of Luther. So who were the forerunners that preceded Luther? And it shows us how God was working. Well, first of all, in the 12th century, there was a French businessman by the name of Peter Valdo, and he was employed by a priest to translate the Scriptures from Latin to French. And whenever he read the Scriptures, he came to the same belief that Luther would come to several hundred years later. And he would translate the Scriptures into French, and he would give them to a little group of preachers, and they would go out and they would spread this word around. And it became a very powerful movement. And they became known as the Waldensians. And the Waldensian church remained in existence for centuries. And they suffered terrible persecution for their faith because they were a challenge to the church but they were a very important group of people that God used. 
And then in the 14th century, God raised up this man who actually is, his statue is at the feet of Martin Luther in the city of Worms in Germany because he is seen as a forerunner of Luther. Peter Valdo is also there. And his name is John Wycliffe. He's an English man. And John Wycliffe was important because he was the first to translate the Scriptures into the language of the English people. He translated it from the Latin, not from the Greek. So it wasn't as good a translation, but it was a very important translation. But he did something else. He gathered together, like Peter Valdo, a group of preachers, and they were known as Lollards. And they were sent out all over the British Isles, preaching the gospel. And long after John Wycliffe died, these people were still preaching the gospel all over the British Isles. And then there was John Huss, or Jan Hus, as he is known in his own language. He was from Bohemia. That's now the Czech Republic. He was from the city of Prague. And he came to the same beliefs that Wycliffe came to, partly through the influence of Wycliffe. And he became a very considerable challenge to the authority of the church. So he was invited by the Council of Constance in 1415 to come so that they could talk to him about his beliefs. And he went. He was guaranteed safety. But he was betrayed. And they took him and they burned him to death. It was a terrible act. Caused a whole civil war in Europe. Taking a man of God and burning him to death. But the Hussites would continue. And Luther himself came to the belief that he believed the same things as the Hussites believed. So you see, Luther didn't invent something new. This truth already was there, and God had been preparing hearts. So those are the the forerunners of the revival. And then we have the preacher. So whenever this revival broke out in Europe in the 16th century, God raised up preachers to preach truth and to preach the Word of God and to proclaim the Word of God. And there was Martin Luther. And I particularly like that portrait of Luther because that's the earliest portrait of Luther that there is. And you see how thin he looks, how emaciated he looks. And that was as a result of the terrible torture he put his body through in order that he might have peace with God. Luther's spiritual journey is such an incredible testimony. A man who longed for peace. A man who was troubled with these thoughts that he was guilty before God. A man who beat his body to the extent that his fellow monks were convinced that Brother Martin is going to kill himself. The darkness of soul he went through. And then he came into the light. Whenever you see the later portraits of Luther, he looks so much healthier, so much happier even, because the gospel made a profound change to him and to his life. And Luther is important because it was he who developed this great doctrine of justification by faith. He recovered this doctrine, recovered this truth, preached it, put it out there. He wrote 
it down in terms of Bible studies and books and works, and he became the first widely published author of the printing era for God had just, in, God had just put it into the heart of uh, Gutenberg to invent the printing press. And, and, and as a result of that, there were many printing presses around Germany. And Luther gave the printers lots of work and lots of business because people were buying up his works. There was a hunger and there was a thirst for God's Word. And so Luther is really important. But John Calvin's really important too. John Calvin was another preacher. And Calvin is known as the, the father of Reformed theology. And here in, in our church, we regard ourselves as following Reformed teaching. And that really came through the ministry of John Calvin. And there are certain things he articulated that are so important. He articulated the, the providence of God, that God is always in charge. He's in charge of all things. He taught the importance of, of God's grace, that we are saved by grace alone. God's grace always at work in our lives. He taught the person of Christ, that Christ is our prophet, bringing us God's Word. Christ is our priest. He died for us. He offered Himself he is our mediator at God's right hand. He is our king. He's a prophet, priest, and king. These things are important aspects of Reformed theology. And John Calvin was the Frenchman who labored in what is now Switzerland in Geneva. And there he established a society that very much was founded on the Word of God. But then there was another man who came to Geneva to visit Calvin he was fleeing from persecution in England. And this was a Scot by the name of John Knox. And John Knox preached to English-speaking people abroad in the John Knox Chapel, as it is now called, in the city of Geneva. And then eventually the call came for him to come back to Scotland. And John Knox came to Scotland. He established the first national Presbyterian church in the history of the world. And that was... Scotland. And of course, whenever we look back to our spiritual ancestors, we go back to John Knox, and we go back to Scotland. And John Knox had a very clear link with the European Reformation and with the teaching of John Calvin. And John Knox, however, was converted, apart from Luther and apart from Calvin. God worked in John Knox's heart in Scotland, for God had been working in Scotland as he had been working in Germany and working in France and working in Holland and working in these other nations. You see, this was a movement that God was in charge of. It wasn't Luther's movement or Calvin's movement. God was working in Scotland. He was working in England. He was working in lots of lands and the hearts of various people in order that he might bring them to faith. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. If this was the work of men, it would have failed. But it wasn't the work of men. It was the work of God. For example, God saved a man who had a very similar spiritual journey uh, to Luther in England. And this was Thomas Cranmer. And Thomas Cranmer would go on to be the, the author of the Book of Common Prayer. He would go on to be the architect, really, of the Reformed Church of England, the Protestant Church of England, an important man who also was taken, burned to the stake in the days of Queen Mary 
the first. And so those are just some of the preachers, some of the people that God raised up in those days in order that the people might have the Word of God. The core message of this revival, the core message that they preached, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The gospel that we preach, the gospel that will be preached during our gospel mission every Sunday here, it's the message that they brought. Christ came into the world to save sinners. There's one particular story I love from those days. It's the story of Thomas Bilney. Thomas Bilney was an English student. And Thomas Bilney was an expert in the Greek language. And he had a desire for God's word and for truth. And so there came to him a copy of the, the new text of the New Testament in Greek that had just been published by a Dutch man called Erasmus. And he started to read this. And as he read it, he came to 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Suddenly, he said the light came. The gospel came to his heart. He was saved and then he tried to win others. And there was a man in the university called uh, Hugh Latimer. And he hated these Protestants. He was faithful to the church. And Bilney went to Latimer and he fell down his knees before him. He said, Master Latimer, hear my confession. And Latimer thought this fellow is going to confess his sins and come back to the mother church. But Bilney told him how he read 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And suddenly, Hugh Latimer said, the darkness passed away and the light came. God spoke to him. And he was saved. And Hugh Latimer became a greater preacher than Thomas Bilney ever was. One many souls for Christ in England. And both of those men were burnt at the stake. Bilney was burnt at the stake during the days of Henry VIII. And Hugh Latimer was burnt at the stake also during the days of Queen Mary. And it was Hugh Latimer who said to uh, Nicholas Ridley, the Church of England, Bishop of London, who also was burned with him. They were burned back to back. Master Ridley, play the man. We shall this day light a candle in England that will never more be put out. And it was all because of this message. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let's think about the Bible now. The Bible and the revival. There never would have been a Protestant Reformation without the Bible. And in many respects, the Reformation was a recovery of the Bible because the church had prevented people getting the Bible. They had prevented people from studying the Bible, and they had prevented people having the Bible in their own language. The Bible was in Latin, but Latin was by this stage an extinct language. People did not know Latin. People did not read Latin. Academics knew Latin. It was the language of law. It wasn't the language of the common man. It was the language of the church, but it wasn't the language of the common man. And so the Bible was only in Latin, and the church did everything to prevent the people having the Bible in their own languages. They said the people couldn't be trusted with the Bible. 
We can't give the people the Bible. They would, they would see things that aren't there. And the church was really afraid of the people getting the Bible. And of course, they were right to be afraid because the church had become so corrupt and so immoral. Luther himself said when he visited Rome, such was the immorality of the place. He said, if there's a hell, Rome is built on it. And so the church was afraid that the people would get the Bible. But these reformers were intent that the people should have the Bible. Luther translated the Bible into the language of the German people. It was one of his great works. And this man, William Tyndale, his statues in London here in the embankment, and he translated the Bible into the language of the English people from the Greek, which Wycliffe never could have done. And Wycliffe was, uh, Tyndale was such an amazing individual, incredible man, great learning, great wordsmith, ability with words. He could see things in words that no one else could see as he went through the Greek manuscripts and the Hebrew manuscripts and, and translated it into the language of, of the English people. And he was made an outlaw. He became God's outlaw, as Brian Edwards called him in his excellent book. And the, the name God's outlaw was also used by Channel 4 in a, a film they produced many years ago, perhaps 30 years ago. You can still see it on YouTube. It's a tremendous film. Shows you how he was taken from England, how he had to flee from England for his own life, how he printed the, the, the Bible in, in, in Europe, and yet he constantly had to be in the move. He was a hunted man. He gave his whole life in order that the English people might have the Word of God. And this authorized version that we have, something like 90% of the New Testament is based entirely on the, the excellent work that William Tyndale did, and yet they took him, a young man just in his mid-30s, and they burnt him to death in Belgium. His only crime was that we might have the Word of God. It's always important when we think of God's Word. Number one, it is God's Word. It is God's Word. We should have that respect for the Bible because it is God's Word. But number two, this book is stained with blood. People literally gave their lives. People like this man gave their lives that we might have the Word of God. And the Bible was at the center of the revival. And it's one of the reasons why here in a Presbyterian church, we don't believe a pulpit should be in the corner. We believe the pulpit should be in the, the middle. Because the duty of a church, the function of the church, and the task of the church is to bring you the Word of God. The Word of God must have, have primacy. The Bible... The Bible only is the religion of Protestants. William, William Chillingforth said that. And, and what, a, what a statement it is. And the Church of Rome has despised Protestantism, saying that Protestants make an idol out of the Bible. But of course, we don't make an idol out of the Bible. We worship God, but God speaks to us. So this Bible is the very voice of God himself. Therefore, we look at it in that way, and we hear what God would have to say to our souls. Have you read your Bible today? You call yourself a Protestant. Have you read your Bible? Is it an open book in your home? 
Do you come to God's Word? This is God speaking. That was one of the things that really flamed the Reformation into a, a great fire. It was a love for the Word of God. I also want us to think about the acceptance. If it was just about Luther or Knox or Cranmer or, or Latimer or these other men, if it was just about these men, the Reformation would have come to nothing. They would have died and that was it. They would have gone. Their writings would have decayed, forgot about. But it wasn't just about these men. In every nation where these people ministered and preached, God worked in the hearts of the people so that there was a thirst for God's Word. God worked in the hearts of men and women so there was a ready acceptance and there was an eagerness for the Word of God. God opened hearts everywhere to the Word of God. Luther, uh, John Knox came back to Scotland. And the reason why he came back to Scotland was because the people wanted him. They were crying out wherever he, he went to in Scotland. The, the people flocked to hear him preach. The people wanted the Word of God. When Hugh Latimer preached, the people thronged into the churches. And indeed, there was, some, there was one place where such was the weight of people that came into the churches. The very pews were broken under the weight of the people that were flocking into the church. There was such a desire for the Word of God. In, in France, a considerable portion of the French population, particularly amongst the middle classes, they came to a knowledge of the gospel, and yet they were later hounded out of France, persecuted horribly. Many of them came here. They're known as the Huguenots. In Holland, people in their thousands, in their tens of thousands, in their hundreds of thousands, they came to trust Christ. But under the Spanish Inquisition, many of these ordinary people were, were martyred and persecuted for their faith. It wasn't an easy thing to be a Protestant in those days. But the people had such a desire for God's Word, they wanted to be faithful, and to be faithful unto death. And many of them were, because God was working. God was making His people willing in the day of His power. John Knox is a great example, because John Knox, in common with many of the Reformers, he didn't want any memorials, didn't want any statues, They'd had enough of statues and churches and religious places. Didn't want a statue of himself, neither did Calvin. So John Knox was just buried in a, a very simple grave and just a slab put in the grave. A.K., which are his Latin initials. And then in later years, they tarmacked over it. And John Knox is lying in a car parking space nowadays. And they actually have a plaque on the car parking space that John Knox lies in here. Despite all of that, the truth remained. The truth continued. It wasn't about the man. It was about the truth, the gospel, because God was working in hearts. And then, finally, let's just think about the transformation by the revival. There's two things about 
the transformation that came about because of the Reformation. People were born again and nations were born anew. Two things. There was change wrought in the hearts of men and women. People were converted. God did a new thing. People's hearts. People were brought from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. It was liberating. They had something they never had before. They were given a value they never had before. They realized that every Christian was a, a priest under God, priesthood of all believers. It was a liberating truth, a liberating concept. People were born again. They had a new hope. And that revolutionized families and societies and nations. And nations were born anew. We have been blessed to be part of a nation where we have freedom. We have freedom of the press. We have freedom to cast our vote. We have freedom of religion. We can worship in a church without fear. And there are people across the world, they do not have these freedoms. Why do we have these freedoms? Because of the Reformation. Before the Reformation, there was no freedom. Before the Reformation, those that spoke up against the status quo, they were persecuted, they were burnt to death, they were imprisoned, they were incarcerated. It was a very long struggle before we came to the place where we're at today. Many people suffered along the way. But this nation came to a place of freedom. And I would certainly argue that the reason why we're a United Kingdom of, of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is because of the Reformation. The Reformation particularly brought England and Scotland together, which is at the core of, of our nationhood. And without the Reformation, there would have been no United Kingdom. And I can see a situation where as our nation has lost sight of its faith, that it's becoming more fragmented, more troubled, because it has lost its core value. The core value is in the truth of the gospel that caused our nation to be born and you. And we do live in dark times, troublesome times, fearful times. We're living in a, a fearful world. We look at the wars, the rumors of wars, what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, all of these things. We think of the, the turning away from God in our own nation, but what's the answer? It's the gospel. We think of what God did all of those years ago, something that we still benefit from today. God did a new thing. Can he do it again? Yes, he can. Is God dead? No, he's not. Has God changed? No, he hasn't. Can God send revival again? Yes, he can. Is he still the God of religion? Of course he is. Can he still answer by fire? Yes, he can. Can he raise up another Luther? Yes, he can. We need to pray to that end. For where is our hope of survival? Save in thy life, giving breath. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for what you did all of those years ago. And we pray that you would work again. And you would demonstrate your mighty power. And you would transform peoples and nations. And raise up men who will preach your Word fearlessly. Who will transform the course of history.
Lord, we pray that thou wouldest rend the heavens and come down. The mountains might flow at thy presence so that we will say, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Lord, be with us through the rest of today. We pray that you will undertake for the funeral service, bless the grieving family, and bless each one of us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be our abiding portion now and evermore. Amen.